Hi, and welcome back to Silver on the Sage podcast. I'm Caitlin Lowe, your host, and this is episode 12. In this episode, we get to talk to Elizabeth Uribe Gertz, also known as Slim. Um, We get to talk about the common joys of Philmont, uh, the friendships, sharing Philmont with your family, backcountry traditions, um, mental hardships, dealing with crews, all the above. This episode really encompasses what it means to love a place and to give back. Slim worked in 2006 at the villa as a tour guide, in 2007 as a PC at Cypher's Mine, in 2008 she was a PC at Bobien, promoted to ACD Bobien, and as she puts it, Battlefield promoted to CD at Abreu. <laughs> then in spring 2009, she worked PTC maintenance. In 2009, for the summer season, Slim was the CD at Cypher's Mine. In 2010, she was the CD at Uraka. In 2011, CD at Baldy Town. 2013, infirmary support staff for two weeks. And in 2019, she was the associate manager of communications for logistics. Uh, This is a really reflective episode. It was my first episode recording um, in the evening rather than on a Saturday morning, and uh, I really enjoyed it. So here we go. Thanks for listening. Slim, how's it going? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. It's fun to do an evening podcast. This is my first evening recording, so it's 8.30 p.m. for those of you who are listening. <laughs> yes, it's a cozy time of day. It is. It's reflective, so that's nice. Yeah. Well, where are you coming from? Uh, so right now, I'm coming from Kansas City, Missouri. It's a good place to be. I spent mm-hmm. a little while there, so... Yeah, that's a fun spot. We'll just go ahead and kick it off. I would love to know how you ended up at that place we all call home, Philmont Scout Ranch. Yes. Um, I believe I was kind of meant to work out at Philmont because the way I got hired um, is the most ridiculous thing, looking back, not knowing what I know now. Um. In like early May, around Mother's Day, I think, um, I was lamenting to my best friend Pamela. I was like, "Ugh, I work at this like big girl job. I'm only 19, and I just don't know what I want to do with my life. Like, it's not this. I don't want to do this for the next 40 years and then retire." And she was like, "Hear me out. Try and apply for this Boy Scout camp." And I was like, "Uh." That's kind of random. I know that she did it last year. And I got letters from her talking about like stars and cute boys. But I was like, uh, okay, I guess. <laughs> um, so yeah, like early May I applied and there were, I had no idea, like no idea what job I was applying for. But she was like, you should try working in the villa. And randomly they had a job there, which like, Normally, if you apply in late May, um, the, there are there are no like the odds, yeah. good yeah. base camp jobs. Yeah, um, I probably should have been working in the dining hall, which is not a bad job at all. But um, I ended up being able to work in the villa with Nancy Klein um, and like fell in love. So yeah, mid-May, I know the date specifically, it was May 17th, 2006, I got a job offer from Philmont, which is like 10 days away from the start of the summer. Yeah. There's no reason I should have been hired, and there's no reason I should have been hired at the villa. Except for- the time of year. Except for fate. Except for fate, exactly. I really think I should have 
I was always meant to be there, at least to go once. Um, after that, it was my choice, but it was definitely fate the first time. So yeah, I like packed up 10 days later. I'd never been away from my family for more than like two days at that point in my life. Um, and it was amazing. It was an experience. Yeah, it was good. Did you thank drive God out? My friends. Thank God, indeed. Did you drive out there by yourself or did you go with one of them, one of your friends? Um, actually... There was a hometown boy at the time who we had just started like talking and, you know, he was a lovely dude, but I was like, he didn't want to like call me his girlfriend. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I'm just going to go to another state then. And he's like, wait, (laughs) me too. So um, he also applied to Philmont. He did get a dining hall job at CHQ. And we went out there together. We road tripped out there. It was a really good time. Um, I got to hang out with all the genuinely cool people in the dining hall. Um, God, they were a hilarious group of people that year. Um, and yeah, like I had like connections on both sides of the fence. I had CHQ and PTC people. And that made my experience really fun. Yeah. When yeah. you... I remember driving. So you're from Texas, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tyler, Texas? Tyler, well, specifically White House, but yes, in the Tyler area. Okay. I always get that wrong. Um, so I don't know about you, but when I was driving out for the first time, I'm from Nebraska. And when I was driving out the first time, I just remember like this like lump in my throat going from Cimarron into base because I knew this was like the last couple mile stretch and then I was like in it. And I just, I'll never forget. It was like the most foreign geography and landscape. And I was both like terrified, but like in love. It was like, I'll never forget that drive. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. I grew up in the Piney Hills region of East Texas um, and never really like Texas is hard to get out of like as a mindset and physically. Um, And I'd never thought about leaving Texas. So I was like, well, I guess I'm doing it. It's fine. Like, no big deal. And I distinctly remember the moment I saw mountains. Like, it was it was the the road between, like, Cold Beer and Cimarron. I was just, like, my mind was blown. I was like, yeah. what is this? I just, like, could not comprehend it. And, yeah, like, yeah, like, that total weird, excited, nervous kind of like awestruck feeling. Yes. I definitely remember that feeling. My first like drive in. I still kind of have that feeling actually every time I drive in. Yeah. It's a really good feeling. It, it really like is where the plains meet the mountains. Like it's so like literal. I love it. I just love yes, it. Yeah. I, I do love telling people that I'm like, no, it's, it's where they start. Like it's desert, desert mountains. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and you went on to work several summer seasons um, and then some other a spring season and um, spent some formative years there like we kind of all do. Mm-hmm. Um, what Like if you had to pick a year, do you have a favorite year or a year that just kind of like stands out when memories come flooding in? I think I have three. I mean, all my years were good. Some were harder than others in different ways, but my Three favorite years, I think, were 07 because it was my first time in the backcountry. And again, I just lucked out. Um, Nancy Klein, like, pulled some string. I don't know what happened. She's an angel. But for, again, no reason at all, to no merit, did I get into – there was, like, I did not prove myself. But I got into Cypher's mine in 07. Um, and again, had no idea how lucky I was. I was just like, okay, cool. Instead of like, oh my God, I'm so lucky. Um, so my first seat, my first summer in the backcountry was at Cypher's Mine with the Kate Helbig. And it was awesome. Yeah. Um, so that was great. Like that was me learning a whole different aspect of Philmont. And God, 07 was fun. It was a really good time. Um, and then 09 was really important to me because that's when I fell in love with my husband. And it's kind of when I got like my uh, like official set of 
friends that like have really stuck with me. Like I have friends from every year, but like kind of from 09 on, they were like cemented in my life. So that was nice. And then um, 2010 was really good because I just had like, I think I just had the best setup ever. I was at Uraka. I had a bunch of kids who were like highly competent and I'm for better or worse, kind of a laissez-faire, like I'll step in when I'm needed, but I really try to empower my kids kind of a leader. And I had a lot of really competent kids and I say kids, they're like, you know, my age, but right. they're kids. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, those three years are my favorite. And then of course, all of them, because they all have special memories, but those three are like my top tier years. Yeah, I get that. I, I didn't know um, that you like truly fell in love with Eli in 09, because I would say that that's when I, I really fell in love with Jimmy too. So that's kind of fun. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was trying to convince myself the whole time that it was like, not a big deal. He's just some boy. He's just cute. And it's like, totally whatever. <laughs> and, and now you'll be married. Is it five years this coming October? Yes, it will be five years. Yes. Yeah. So that stuck. <laughs> yeah, it did stuck. Um, okay. So I know that you are one to like, rock like blue hair purple hair pink hair and also really like really get down and fancy sometimes with with fashion and I'm Mm -hmm. just wondering was there ever like an interp role or an interp dress or an interp moment that is kind of your backcountry version of that part of slim definitely um I mean, in 09 and 07, I was at Cypher's Mind both years, and I don't know if I took it from Kate or if it was always kind of standing, but like in 07, we always dressed up for Stomp. Um, And so in 09, because you always just do what your previous CD did, in 09, I was like, we're dressing up for Stomp. Um, And that didn't really change a lot for the guys. In fact, it might not have changed at all for the guys, but for the girls, we would like put on dresses. And so, yes, there's one specific dress that I think is still out at Philmont, although it doesn't, it would not fit me now. But there's like very one, very pretty, like lacy white dress. It has like blue flowers on it and like ruffles. And it's very clear in my mind that that is like my stomp dress. And of course, other girls have worn it before and I'm genuinely glad it's still out there but yeah every time I there's like a very specific picture of my head in my head of me wearing that dress during stomp I like that tradition of like dressing up for evening campfire evening program it kind of puts you in like a different frame um kind of like hypes the moment up too because sometimes it's like you've had dinner you've had advisors coffee you're kind of like all right all right all right I need to get hyped up for evening program and so I kind of I think that's cool I hope Maybe some other camps do that and embrace that. Um, and I can definitely recall the dress you're talking about. And I I remember when I was, I think, working at a Brayu, mm-hmm. there's some interp clothes that are like top notch and you like mm-hmm. want to, want to get. <laughs> yeah. And you're like looking on the training schedule, like, when do we get to go to Backcountry Warehouse and pick out yeah. our, our garb? Our yeah. Yes. So. Okay, like thinking about your job perspective, and mm-hmm. mostly you mostly worked in so at the villa and then backcountry, and then you did mm-hmm. um, some maintenance and infirmary, and then logistics at, at the very end of your seasonal work. Um, what is, I guess, pick a role mm-hmm. or two where like an aspect of your job that people wouldn't know that you had to do or had to deal with, like something um, from the inside looking out. Yeah. um, So I was thinking about this question and like, I could go with like, you know, if someone didn't know what the backcountry was like and be like, oh yeah, I had to chop wood to like boil water. Like, and they probably wouldn't expect that. Or, you know, at Cyphers, we didn't have running water that came to like faucets. P.S. We were the only year that didn't have that. Thanks. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, we were so dirty that summer. <laughs> Poor Mike Ritter House was like, please try to clean up. And I was like, we are trying. Anyways, that was a segue. <laughs> um, 
honestly, I think what people would be surprised about um, in the backcountry and at Philmont in general when dealing with participants is like kind of the mental health aspect that you run into, um, like trying to be really cognizant that like kids are doing something really hard, like harder than they've had to do in their whole very short lives. And it takes a toll and you have to be there to, to, to kind of catch them and support them and validate them. Um, and sometimes just listen to secrets and get the, you know, get it off their chest or like really work through a mental block. I had a kid that like went nonverbal and that was a little terrifying in 2009 and like trying to figure out how to deal and like motivate these people, kids and adults, um, through a really difficult but rewarding time. And I think that would really surprise people. Cause like you tell them like, Oh, we're going to boy scout camp. And they're like, Oh, okay. You like do archery and swim in a pond and like make macaroni necklaces. I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, now that you put it that way, it's almost like, you know, how most schools, public schools have like the school counselor. It's like yeah. kind of surprising that type of thing. I mean, I guess there, there are the chaplains and I, I mean, that's yeah. what comes to mind as far as like someone who could come counsel a crew. But really in the moment, sometimes it is it it is that backcountry staff that's mm-hmm. meeting those those challenges head on until a chaplain can arrive or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um doing this podcast has when I was there, I think I was too young to understand or appreciate what you just said. Like these yeah. are kids. They're very young. They're being so challenged. I mean, yeah. I don't even know if I've been that challenged yet in my life. I've never done a trek. So right. me neither. I couldn't do it. I don't think, well, maybe now that I'm old and cranky, but like, yeah, it's, we're asking them to be away from their family, to eat food that is weird to them, to sleep outside, like to carry all these things around. And then like, we're also asking them to be enthusiastic about the program that we have. Like, hey, that we're like trying to get them to buy in and be excited. And sometimes they aren't, and that's totally valid. But like, that's the like hill you have to overcome. Is, like, be excited with me, and and I think the people that like convince them the most, like, have the most successes with crews. Like, they're really like bought into their program and they're excited about it. Then like other people will be too. Yeah. Yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy was good at that. He was good at getting people to buy in. Well, yeah, he's still pretty good at that. I was telling him just today that he should go into sale, sales. <laughs> yes, um, he's a great listener. He's a great, like, just general enthusiast. Yeah. He, it's one of those natural things. But, um, yeah, yeah, that's that has my brain spinning on, like, a whole other level of, of Philmont. But, um. Do you want to talk a little bit about just talking about like <laughs> mental health or like challenges of Philmont? Do you want to talk a little bit about 2008? Because you started out as a PC at Bobien, you were promoted mm-hmm. to ACD Bobien, and then, mm-hmm. um, as you put it, you were battlefield promoted to CD at Abreu. So you bounced all around. What the heck was going on? Yeah. So, Bobien, I mean, you are familiar with Bobien. When I started my summer, My CD did not have an ACD and I don't have any idea why. Like we just didn't have one. Um, We were like, okay, that's fine. Like, I don't think it totally mattered. Our CD, um, he was, you know, fairly competent. Um, So we just kind of like rolled with it. But then around, I want to say the 4th of July, someone was like, you know what? I think you should be the ACD. I was like, "Uh, okay, sure. I was like 21, about to turn 22 that summer. And I was like, all right, whatever. Um, And I had really like only just started to get into the role. And it was really mostly just like making sure check wagon went smoothly, like getting enough food for that. And then um, I go down for days off in the middle of July and my former CD now backcountry manager, Kate Helbig, pulls me aside and was like, hey, 
So I've offered you up as a solution to a problem we have. I was like, what's that? She's like, I think you'd be a really good CD. And at the time I was like, no, no, no. I don't ever want to be a CD. Like playing with Boy Scouts is too much fun. Uh, CD looks hard. Um, And she's like, well, just think about it. And then Doug Palmer talked to me. He was like, we need a CD at Rayu because just wild things were happening there that summer. And it ended up that CD could like not perform his functions, which is like a kind way of saying it. He was just uh, ill-equipped. So they were like, we need a CD. And so my name got pulled out of the hat and I was like, okay. So I went down there just completely out of my depth. But the thing was that like all the other CDs totally pitched in and they had my back. And like, I had to go to, I had to go to the, like the late summer CD meeting and it was about closing. And I was like, Oh God, I've only closed one camp ever. And like a bunch of CDs, like pull me aside and are like, here, this is what you need to think about. Um, so I picked up these PCs or at least I went to their camp and their CD hadn't written their days off yet. So I had to like finish writing a days off schedule. Um, I had to do a bunch of comm orders because he <laughs> at some point just told him we're only eating hot dogs. And they were like terrified of him. So they just ate hot dogs. Um, and they were just in, like in a weird headspace. Yeah. And so when I got there, they were like, oh my God, a person. So I had to kind of be like, caretaker and a doer and learning program all at the same time it was really interesting and really kind of fun um but yeah like all my other like fellow cds were like here let me help you and that was really cool to see like to be a part of and like I really got kind of a crash course in like the cd culture because really like those are the people that understand the struggles like the unique struggles of being like living with people who answer to you and being in charge of like the vibes of the camp. Um, And you only really get to see them as a group like twice a year, three, maybe training July 4th, end of the summer. Yeah. So yeah, those were, that was a really cool crash course, but yeah, 2008 was wild. It was a wild summer. Yeah. I like what you said about like, the CD really can create a positive or negative vibe at their camp. It's almost like they're the mom or the dad of the family. And um, uh, like you could always tell like when a CD was on days off, you know, cause things were like a little more rowdy, like mom and dad are gone. <laughs> yeah. I think if you were, if you're um, a woman at Philmont and you're a CD, you have had the experience of being called mom. Like you are the mom. And like, I would tell them, like, I would try to be standoffish in 09. Like I wouldn't give anybody hugs and I wouldn't like be like matronly, but they would still be like, okay, mom. <laughs> like, okay. I think I, I told my kids in 2010, like, I'm not your mom. I didn't birth you. Don't call me that. And then just, it like tickled them to like try and break me down. So yeah. I was like, fine. <laughs> Um, are there any really fun, meaningful traditions in the backcountry, or maybe not the backcountry, maybe um, the other departments that you worked in that you got to be a part of or witness? For someone who loves being out at the Boy Scout camp, I was not like an adventurous spirit. I didn't like leave the cabin. Like I wasn't Iron John, like finding gold in hills or like, or, you know, exploring haulers. I was, like, very content to, like, chill in the cabin and be in nature and, like, talk to kids. I loved that. Um, But I will say the tradition thing, I don't know if it's a tradition. It happens a lot. Um, The thing I love being a part of in the backcountry was Viking feasts. I loved them so much. I love the idea of them. Now in a pandemic, it's terrifying. But, like, (laughs) um, in a normal society this in a normal film on um, the idea of like covering a table in tinfoil and just making the most ridiculous foods. I always made foods that make no sense to eat without 
like utensils, like mashed potatoes and spaghetti, like really, really messy foods. Um, I know that like there's a there's a thought of like, oh, well, it's got to be all men and they've got to be shirtless and it's got to be only meat. No pass. That's silly. Let's make this goofy. I want to do like hook food fight. Like, let's go. Um, but yeah, so I think I had a Viking feast at every camp, which I really enjoyed. It was really fun. In 2010, a couple of rangers came to our Viking feast. It was like near the end of the summer and we were trying to get rid of a lot of our food. So we were cooking, yes, meat, other things too, that my kids had ordered without my knowledge. They're like, we got buffalo heart. And I was like, okay. Great. Buffalo tongue. And I was like, y'all are cooking this. What are you thinking? Um, But we had rangers who brought up beer and ale. So they brought up root beer and ginger ale for our Viking feast, which was very kind. Uh, But yeah, I I think that would be a tradition that I I loved in the backcountry. I did not do any ranger marathons. I don't (laughs) like Viking. (laughs) I, um... I'm trying to remember my first Viking feast. I think it was probably at Bobian where a lot of firsts happen. But I, there's a special camaraderie just around meals in the backcountry in general and like visiting guests or if you have um, like um, a, a single digit unit or whatever, like someone with a vehicle mm-hmm. at your camp that evening and and feeding them. And then there's even like their camaraderie around like guests or, you know, usually obliged to do the dishes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really special to share a meal with people in the backcountry because typically it involves other departments, other working pieces of, of mm-hmm. the Philmont machine. And um, it's just really cool. So, yeah, Viking feasts don't stand out for me for sure as well. And I'm I'm glad you mixed it up because that's, yeah, like, get goofy, get wild. I mean, if you're going to go to the trouble of, like, laying what? the spread – Get at it. <laughs> yeah, make it silly. Yes. You have tortillas as napkins. You drink, drink, pass the juice. Just go. Go for it. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, okay. <laughs> if you could go back for one more summer season um, mm-hmm. or or just seasonal gig, what would you – is there a job you would have wanted to do? CD at Crater. Yes. Absolutely. That, has, that was like the pinnacle – dream job at no point in my like regular seasonal summers was like a a woman working at a logging camp like allowed it was beyond the pale um and man I love Crater I've got a lot of a lot of good memories at Crater from 07 and 08 08 it was kind of my refuge from just like the wild summer that was happening around me um also like um, Mikey Henneberry was there in 08 and he and I worked together in 07 and we got along really well. Um, my sisters and I like visited Crater 08 together a handful of times and that, that was really special. I had a fill fling at Crater in 07 and like to me like there is just nothing better than like that little cabin and having a campfire at the bowl that overlooks the best view of the tooth. Sorry Carson Meadows. Crater has the best view of the tooth. We're really not fighting about it. Um, yeah. Plus, you could, like, hike to it and not, like, die. Yeah. 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 So, like, CD Crater, it was the dream, man. I'm glad that, like, younger people, younger women get to do it because, man, it was the best. Has there been a, a, a woman CD there or just PCs? I don't know. I think just PCs at this point, but I also think it's only been one summer that they've allowed them. I think it was just 2019. I I recall a lot of fun photos of you on spar poles and whatnot, so that seems very fitting. Um, yeah, man, I could do a spar. I could do a, a pole talk. Oh, yeah. So just like this just popped into my head. Um, mm-hmm. Was it ever hard for you to get them to put slim on your name tag? No. They just did it for you? Yeah. So actually, Slim really, I have always had a vague nickname of Slim. Um, But like in 2006, when I pulled up with my like, Texas boyfriend at the time, 
the MPS guy was like, do you go by any nicknames? Like, they prompted it. Like, do you go by any nicknames or anything? And I was like, yeah, some people call me Slim. And that's what got, like, printed on my first name badge. And then kind of every summer after, I was like, well, I'm Slim now. And then, I mean, now I am for sure. It was a nickname I got in, like, eighth grade that was, like, a little derogatory because I was just getting made fun of because, like, what eighth grader doesn't get made fun of but yeah like since Philmont I really like owned it and now I am slim and yes in later years I had to like really be like look I am slim please just put it on there because they started becoming sticklers about it because let's be real the nickname game in like 08 and 09 it got bananas People had, were just wild now on their name tags. Someone for real put Razorhawk on his name tag. Like, nobody calls you that. You can't nickname yourself that. <laughs> so, yeah. I can see why they cracked down, but I did always get an, Nick. I did always get Slim on my name tag. Sometimes I had to pull, like, a single digit and be like, hey. They're like, all right, we got you. Which was very kind because they didn't have to do that, but they did, which is good. I'm glad they did. Um, who was there? Anybody that was especially like a, a mentor or someone in a supervisory role that like really helped helped you out through those years? Definitely. I mean, I've talked about it a lot, but like Kate Helbig, she was like the person. She like sparked that flame that I was like, this is the best and I can help people and I'm the best version of myself and I can take on responsibility. Like she like really saw, I think she saw me. Like I really was seen, even if I didn't want to be perceived, she was still like, no, you're a leader. You need to do this. Um, And she, oh God, she was the best. She was thoughtful and gentle and firm Man, I love that woman. She is great. We still occasionally talk, which I'm very glad about. But um, she's a teacher now, which makes perfect sense. Um, But yeah, Kate Helbig, my first CD. She's kind of like the boss I hold other bosses to. And it's not a very fair comparison. But, you know. That's that's cool. I like that. Yeah. Um, And then I was very lucky to work with Doug Palmer for most of my summers. He... He just trusted, you know, young adults to just do the right thing and to get the job done. He just trusted them. And he would always go to bat for us. You always knew he had your back. And I was really lucky. I love that man. Doug Palmer is, he's a fine American. Indeed, he is. He just had, like, everybody's got a Doug story. Riding in his truck was an experience. It was like a life or death experience. He would always be like holding coffee in one hand and like looking behind, like looking to the passengers, like twisting around to talk to passengers in the back on like the beaver slide. And you're like, we're going to die. You need to look. And he's like, nope, got this. And he did have it, but it was terrifying. <laughs> oh, man. I just like, I wonder if the beaver slide is even a thing. Do they still dr- use that? Yes. Okay. I'm glad. I don't ever want that to change. Um, (laughs) You mentioned uh, that several of your sisters and you like hung Mm -hmm. out, hung out at Crater from time to time. Mm -hmm. What I think all of your siblings worked at Philmont. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. My two sisters and my brother, we all worked at Philmont. Was it, what was that like to share it with, with family? It was amazing. It was like my sisters and I worked there at the same time, I think three years. So you'd think we'd have like a lot more overlapping friends. We didn't really. So really Philmont is a lot of our like sisterly memories, um, which is really cool. And I, and also like, Boots met her husband out there, so I had a brother-in-law that works out there. Actually, both of my brothers-in-law worked out there. So it's it is a family affair for us. It's a it's a real deal, like just bonding. It was a bonding experience for all of us. And of course, like we thought we were 
the stuff. We were like, oh, we're the Uribe sisters, so look out. Which was unwarranted, but still, like, you couldn't tell us anything. We were in our 20s. What are you going to do? Yeah, it's like, step aside. I got my sisters with me. I know what that's like. Yeah. Um, but I um, correct me if I'm wrong. You, mm-hmm. you were really the only one out of your family that um, was the most musical or sang the most. Um, yes, I was in, I was in campfire camps and I'll say like in the real world, I didn't really sing a lot. Um, but I liked to, and it, it ciphers in 07. I found out that what I sang was harmony. I have a real hard time singing melody to songs unless I know them really, really well. Um, but that actually works to my advantage because I don't play an instrument. So I have something to offer by singing harmony. Yeah. Yeah. If I mean, you are very well known for your harmonies and for your singing, and um, I love that. And you sang at our wedding reception, which I loved. That was um, such a good time. It was. Um, is there, like, if you had to pick a song or two that you love to sing at Filma or just, like, hold, you hold near and dear to your heart that, like, is the Philmont melody in your head, what would you choose? Well... Mikey, like I said, Mikey Henneberry and I, I really love singing with him. Um, he's an extremely talented guitarist um, who like has a band that is very good to this day. Steel Wind. They're incredible. They're really fun. Um, but I love singing Vincent Black Lightning with him. And like that song always makes me think of Philmont and specifically like 07, 08, a little bit of 09. Um, and then for better or for worse, uh, wagon wheel is like the song and especially in like the early aughts when we were working, like it was a contemporary, it wasn't like a, Oh, we're going to play this old song that people will know. It was like, no, this is the song. Everybody knows it. Um, and so it got to be a little like free bird. You're like, Oh God is all people are going to request. Ugh. I swear, like, I sing it more than actually, like, Old Crow has ever sang it. That's probably not true, but it felt like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, like, now, I now I love that song. I've always loved that song, but, like, when you sing it every night, it's monotonous. Yeah. But then when you stop singing, you're like, oh. If you play Old Crow, I think today at Philmont, people will still be like, yeah, woo! which is good. Yeah, I would hope so. I mean, what a good band. And yeah, like you said, the song, I mean, just like when you hear the first few, um, you know, (laughs) lines of that song, you're just like, I'm in it. I'm in it. I'm feeling it. So I love that. Um, I mean, we've kind of talked about like the mental challenges of Philmont, but was there any like specific, specific challenge to you that you encountered at your time in any of your summers or years? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, I kind of talked about it a little bit, but there was a, a crew that had a really hard time in Cyphers in 09. Um, and like, that was my first time kind of like dealing with, I'm sorry. Can you hear that? It's all good. You can keep going. <laughs> Just like an old man. Um, so in Cyphers 09, there was a crew that was really struggling with interpersonal issues. Um, and they were staying at Lambert's Hill. They couldn't have been staying at Cyphers because that would have been too easy. So they were staying at Lambert's Hill. And like the night before, they were there for the stomp. And I had to like sit out of stomp and like mediate with this crew. Um, and it was the case where like they picked the crew leader who like was not a natural leader, but they wanted to like put that on him so that he would step into the role and maybe like lead because they chose him instead of, Oh, he's a great leader. We're going to choose him. Um, and his dad was having a really hard time and had a lot of health issues and he and his dad were just kind of fighting the rest of the crew. Um, his dad got pulled down for again, like his, he had bad feet or something. And the crew went down to Lambert's that night. And then, like, at 6 in the morning, their ranger, who had been checking on them, 
comes up and knocks on our door and is like, hey, this this crew leader has just stopped responding to people. He's fine. He's healthy. He's breathing. But he just mentally is checked out. Like, he wouldn't talk to anybody. He wouldn't answer any questions. He wouldn't get out of his sleeping bag. They were, like, really worried about him. So I was like, oh, God. Oh, God. Okay, great. So I called down. And, of course, like, Mike Ritterhouse, I think, had been dealing with it with me. And so they kind of knew that this was going to happen. They're bringing a chaplain. So I hiked down to Lambert's. His crew made me hike. (laughs) And, um... Yeah, it's like really, it's warm now. It's the morning. It's like eight in the morning now. And I like, you know, check on this kid. And I was like, hey, kid, don't hit me. I'm coming into the tent. And he like just laid there. And so I was like, hey, your crew is breaking down your tents. Like we need your permission to like slide you and your sleeping pad out of here so your tent mate can break down the tent. And I think I ended up. I saw it on a TV show or movie show or movie show. I'm 57 years old. Um, I saw it on a TV show or a movie once, but like I had him like squeeze my finger for yes or no. It was like two squeezes was yes and one was no. So I was like, hey, can we, do we have your permission to pull you out of the tent? And he squeezed yes. And so I was like, okay, great. We pulled him out of the tent. It's tent meat, like broke down the tent. And we all agreed like the crew's gonna hike on this guy's done and he's just gonna get picked up at cyphers go down to his dad they will go home um so that's kind of like how i communicated i was like do you need water do you need breakfast like how are you feeling well i couldn't have any open-ended questions but like kind of yes no questions and then as this crew finally like left and hiked on he like started perking up and then he had like personality again which was good, but I resented a little because you couldn't have had it this whole time. Um, so that was an interesting problem solving experience. Um, I would say, and a, I had a a strange summer in 2011 because I was at Baldy Town, and there's no built in program at Baldy Town. It's like you hand food out. You convince kids to buy chocolate that they don't need. Um, and you just kind of like catch people as they fall off baldy. Um, yeah. <laughs> so actually that would be French. They always caught the, the, the health lodge cases because they made it to the top and then kind of struggled down. But um, baldy was a great camp and it was beautiful and I had a good crew, but like there was no program, which is like, the thing I live for with crews, I love doing, making them do goofy things and making them do things that like teenage boys and girls think they're too cool to do. I'm like, you're not too cool. Let's go. Um, and that element was missing that summer and it may have been my own fault. Like there were ways to engage crews, but mostly they were pretty serious about like preparing for Baldy and getting their food and sorting that out. And so there just weren't a lot of chances to like interact with them. Um, So mostly I interacted with kids like who had medical problems or it was cold and rainy. Like we, we had a whole song and dance. We're like, okay, it's going to be cold. It's going to be rainy. Let's start boiling water. We would get like all four pots going. We would have um, coffee going. We had cider and hot chocolate and we just kind of like, that was our thing. Anytime it was rainy in August, we would make a lot of hot water and just kind of warm up people under the porch. Um, and that was as close to program as we got. But that was really hard for me because, yeah, like, you go out there and once you get a taste of hanging out with these kids and, like, making an impact on them, that's kind of all you want to do is you want to just hang out with these kids and encourage them and show them something new. And I loved that aspect and I really missed it in 2011. So that was hard. Yeah, I... I can imagine. I mean, at that point, they probably remember you for being like hospitable and like, oh, thank God, a hot cocoa or a coffee, you know, because you kind of become this like junction. You're like the calm before the storm of them hiking baldy most of the time. Um, So, yeah, I can 
that'd be t- that'd be tough. I've always thought about like commissary camps and how they kind of keep um, things lively. I think you have to get pretty creative. So <laughs> yeah, it like it was it was good interactions. Like we we would made it to reaction sheets, but like mostly the scenery made it to reaction sheets. <laughs> it was like Bali was pretty. Yeah, they had a good porch. All right, great. Cool. <laughs> um, those are good, good challenges. I I also think that's cool how you like took that from a movie of like how to communicate with the kid, and then like once his crew's gone, he like lets his guard down, you know, which is like how it is in life. But yeah. um, that was that was clever because Philmont is definitely like the place that tests your ability to like think on your feet and like act now type thing and um sure. yeah you did that so that's that's cool do you want to talk at all about um meeting eli your now husband your then phil fling sure um i mean like i said i was pretty hot stuff which is not hard to be at philmont because <laughs> of the ratio but i i had had phil flings before i had brought a boyfriend from home and he was such a lovely dude um and then, yeah, I, like, stumbled upon Eli. He, I had met him, like, late in the summer of 08. He was friends with a Phil Fling. <laughs> and we met. And we were like, oh, this guy is goofy. That's your first impression of Eli is just, uh, he's kind of wiggly and he's kind of goofy. He just doesn't stand straight. He just kind of, like, he sways. I don't know. He's very, he's very loosey-goosey. Um, and he's really, yeah, he's just goofy. Your first thing is very disarming. Um, and then I got a job working at PTC maintenance in like February of 09. So I went out there and I was like, okay, I'm done with boys. Like I'm going to a place where there's literally nobody. I don't need to meet anybody. I don't need to talk to anybody. I'm just going to give myself a break, be single and be in the mountains and then Eli comes along and I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember him. He's really fun and goofy. Cool. And then, like, people kind of pair off in the off season. It just happens. There's no one around. It's lack of options, really. So that's our favorite way to, to introduce our lecturers. Like, there's lack of options. Um, but there was, you know, real chemistry there. I really liked him. I thought he was smart. I found out later that he's actually very brilliant um but you wouldn't know it from first blush he's very smart um but he just like lulls you into a like a himbo sense of security he's just like a big dumb guy all right then he's actually <laughs> really brilliant um so yeah we got to know each other a little better over the spring. And then I was like, well, this was cool, but you know, a bunch of dudes are about to show up in May. So <laughs> this is over, right? And I actually even bet a friend. I was like, I don't need to kiss that boy anymore. I won't kiss him after May 1st. And they're like, you want to bet $5? And I was like, yeah, I don't care about this guy. And then, yeah, on May 2nd, I gave Matt Murray $5. Because I lost that bet. And he actually, Matt Murray took Eli to ice cream with my $5. I know. <laughs> but, which Eli loves. But yeah, we ended up being like, okay, well, we'll just fill fling. We won't date anybody else. And that was really fun. Like, I just got to, you know, get to know him and get to know his set of friends who I really like adore now. They're obviously my friends now too, but. I got to meet uh, Zach and Jada that way. Got to meet a bunch of people through him. Um, and yeah. And then at the end of the summer, at the, I think the CD meeting in late summer, I was like, well, I like you and I don't have anywhere to go because I'm kind of a vagabond right now. Would it weird you out too much if I moved to Kansas City and we like made a go of this? And he was like, uh, yeah, I think that'd be cool. I was like, okay. Uh, and then, yeah, the rest is kind of history. I got my own apartment out there. He lived with his parents for a year. And then in 2010, the end of that summer, we moved in together. And we've been together since 09. Like 11 years now. 
Yeah. We're old. <laughs> I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I, I still can't imagine a more romantic place to fall in love than Philmont. And for those of us who get to, I think that's really awesome. And, and not only fall in love, but just kind of have this like partner in crime and someone who you can, you know, like, like just talk to about anything and they just get it and they're out there and they're in the same like season and flows and they get it. And, um, There's just nothing like it. So I'm really glad that you guys stumbled upon each other and uh, made a go of it. <laughs> yeah, I did try to play it off over the summer. My kids would ask about it and I'm like, oh, that guy, he's just a guy. It's like, whatever. They're like, yeah. really? Like, yeah, it's nothing. It's fine. They're like, oh, okay. Whatever, mom. We'll see. Yeah, um, was, there is something about falling in love with a dude that like will still kiss you after you haven't showered for two weeks. That is not something you're gonna find in the real world. <laughs> that's true. Like, love. Things you smell amazing after just like a, a shampoo and a soap. They're like, wow. Yeah, they're like, you're a whole new person that I'm dating. Yeah, they're completely now. impressed that you don't have dirt on your fingernails. Yeah, that that's a nice guy to have. Um, what are, do you want to chat a little bit about what you and Eli are up to today or what's on the horizon for you guys? Yeah. Um, so right now Eli is a nurse. Um, he is working at a big hospital in Kansas city on the IV therapy team, which means that like he and his team get called in after a nurse like tries a couple times and then doesn't feel comfortable trying anymore. Um, they have like special equipment to make getting an IV in someone easier, which is good. Um, and I will be starting a new adventure starting April 1st, um, working full time at Philmont, which is crazy. Uh, I started this journey 15 years ago with a random question to my best friend about what am I going to do with my life? And Philmont since then has kind of always been the answer. Um, And so now I get to like be a part of people's like staff magic. Like I get to check people in. I'll be part of the like HR team at Philmont. So I'm really excited. Um, I'm excited to be there and facilitate that for staffers and, and like be the first enthusiastic face they see because I think that's important like to be greeted by someone who's like thrilled to have you there and that's me I love Philmont and I'm thrilled that people want to work there so I'm very lucky uh and excited to join the team I'm so excited for you I uh man, you know, the person that comes to mind for my generation is Barbara Garcia, of course. Yeah. Yes. Um and I just feel like, you know, she was such she was such that. Like she just mm-hmm. welcomed you with her just everything about her was like you've arrived. Like like let's press play and and do this adventure and um mm-hmm. I think that like you said, I think that's that was really important. I mean, we all remember her and We'll mm-hmm. always remember her as as that welcoming moment and helping us sign those like crazy goofy um, BSA contracts and like mm-hmm. I don't know if they still do those and like the, it was some arbitrary number like twenty six dollars or you had to like pay right. something yeah and it was like, like yeah you had to have like pay dues for like three three months or something yeah and so like it was confusing and you didn't want to fumble. And there was always like someone behind you waiting to check yeah. in. And it's there's usually like, like a, yeah, it's like a cute boy or there's like a line. And so, um, gosh, I don't know, Slim, I'm so excited for you and Eli. That's, that's wicked. Awesome. Yeah. That's I'm a big... excited. I am a little nervous because like Barbara's retired for a couple of, like a handful of years at this point, but like, she's still kind of a looming presence for me because she was who, like I was thrilled to see when I would get there. Um, and she always knew who you were and she always made you feel like completely special. And she has some like 
I have big shoes to fill if I'm going to be anything like her. I have big hair to fill. She always had big, amazing, magical hair. Yes. Perfectly makeup face. But yeah, like every time I think of Barbara, I think of the CD campfire where like Dave Birchfield made up a song about her. And I love that song so much. It makes me happy. I always sing it to myself. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I remember that as well. That was a good moment. I think it's recorded somewhere. I hope so. Um, If I, if, and when I interview Birchfield, I might have to have him just go ahead and sing it on the podcast, on the episode. Um, (laughs) That's awesome. Um, Everyone who goes out there with, whether we're visiting or first year or second year, whatever, we'll get to see you. And so that's really cool. Mm -hmm. I am very jealous, but I'm also excited that I get to kind of tag along on the journey. So, um, we're almost to an hour, but, um, is there any other, I don't know, memories, stories, mundane things that you love? Um, anything else you want to share before we do like nominations or shout outs? Um, I was trying to think of like, I loved when Justin Kearns was talking about like little, like the little memories that kind of make up all the big ones. Cause there's of course all the big ones. I turned 21 out there and I like, you know, had serious Phil crushes out there and I met my husband out there, but like, I miss the little things. I, I love the way the air smells out there. It's, indescribable I, I don't know what it smells refreshing it smells I don't know um I miss the air I miss weirdly I miss the walk from the cypher's mine to the cypher's cabin I in 2007 and 2009 every time I got back from like doing my shift of that of doing mine tours I always enjoyed the walk back. It was always peaceful at the end of the day. And it was just beautiful. And I would always have a big sigh and look around and just always appreciate that walk for some reason. It's just, like it's in a canyon. It's not like a beautiful vista to gaze upon. But I like know that walk like the back of my hand. I know every like rise in the hill and dip. I know what the trees look like. And I just love that walk. Um, I had a PC once tell me that like sunflowers made her sad because it meant that August was coming. And now every time I look at a sunflower, I think, oh, like those are beautiful, but also they make, they make someone sad because it means that the end of the summer is coming. And I kind of always look at like sunflowers a different way now. And it's just all these little weird, yeah, quiet moments that um that when i mean like even like listening to this podcast like i know people are talking about their experience at ptc or as rangers but as they're talking my brain is like flipping through all these quiet memories that i haven't thought about in years and not specifically because what people are saying but but just like the feeling that they have that's like coming off of them when they're talking about something like makes me think of that feeling. And I'm like, Oh man, I felt that this time in this quiet specific moment. And I just, yeah, I miss all those, those little things, the little, the like sitting on the porch, reading a book, like next to your coworker, your friend and, or, you know, furiously writing out as many eye camps as you can because the mailbag is getting picked up and you want to coordinate your days off with somebody. Um, yeah, little silly mundane things. Like like the Philmont prayer. I don't think I've ever said the Philmont prayer and not meant every single word. It's the only prayer that I'm like, yep, this is how I feel. I am grateful for these things. Um, so yeah, I, I love all those little memories. Yeah. Talk about, you know, like if, if you're one to believe in energy and Mm -hmm. how like being even just like hearing 
another person's story or being next to someone or closing your eyes and imagining someone describing where they are. I mean, that's just like such a pure, good example of like an exchange of energy between mm-hmm. us human beings. Um, and got, like even just now, like you talking about your walk from this, from contention mine back to mm-hmm. Cypher's cabin, like I just immediately went to like Bobian and bringing a crew out to like a far campsite and like walking back and how you just like, it's, it's that moment where you're like, wow, I'm really here. Like, I'm really at Philmont in my 20s. I Like, this is what I'm going to look back on and be like, that was gold. Like, that was a golden moment. So, yeah, I love that. I hope I hope the the podcast does that for other people as well. And, and not just the podcast, but other things. I mean, music, yeah. eating green chilies, like what have you. Right. <laughs> There's so many little moments that I think are always kind of connecting us, which makes me feel really good. Um, oh, yeah. um who who do you want to hear from on the show? Um this is such a hard question because like I want to cast such a wide net but also my friends but also people from other generations but people who are from other generations who are my friends. <laughs> Um, at least at least I'll never like run out of content right there'll always be someone to interview so yeah um so I would I would love to hear from like a handful of people I mean a a long list I've got a long list but I'll just kind of go off the top of my head um genuinely I would like to hear from Stephen Center my brother-in-law um, because I think he has interesting, like he's got a couple different perspectives being on the OATC crew and being in the backcountry and being in like cons, um, like on the weed killing team. I can't remember the official name of what that, but like, it's just like, he has all these interesting perspectives. Um, and then someone from the dining hall, like the person I'm thinking of is Jeff Terman, who went out with me in 06. Um, and that's where I met like Derek Shiny and a bunch of other people, Adam Terrell, um, that crew. Like, I think if you're get, trying to get different perspectives, like someone from the dining hall has a really interesting perspective. And then like, of course, like Rod Taylor and his beautiful gravelly voice. He's just. Oh yeah. So green. <laughs> he, yes. Ugh. That man. Um, or even Rye, like someone that grew up around Philmont and maybe took it for granted and then worked out there and had a different perspective than people who had just like flown in from New York or came from Minnesota. Like, um, so yeah, someone that grew up with it in their backyard and then was like, got to see a different side of it. I think that would be cool. I'll stop it there, but I've got like a bajillion people I want to hear from, like Dirty Larry or Corey Yance or like people I don't really know, but like it would be cool to get them. Yeah, for I'll, sure. I'll officially add Kate Helbig because that woman is just so close to my heart. I love her. Um, I will write all of these down. <laughs> and my favorite part about the podcast, like very genuinely, is that I love when people nominate other people and, and I get it, you know, obviously on the end of each episode I ask, but then also, you know, on the website, people can nominate, people can text me, call me, email me, whatever, like send a, send me an carrier pigeon or I camp. I just really love when people like want to hear their friends or whomever. So this is just a PSA that anyone can nominate anybody. Um, so thank you, Slim, for those nominations. Absolutely. Oh, who, um, or not who, um, do you have a piece of memorabilia that is really special to you from Philmont that you'd want to share? I have my husband. No. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I keep thinking about this and I don't have like, I've got the mugs and I've got belts, but like not ones that I've created. Like I had friends who like would go to the PTC like arts and crafts every Monday or whenever they did that and like made their own belts. So I haven't done that. Um, I don't know. Honestly, like 
when Eli and I stopped going out every summer, it was a little bit because Philmont was stopped being like a place or a thing and it started being people. Like, and that's kind of when you know you're done. Like, Philmont is no longer a pile of rocks or a specific cabin or a drive out. It's your friends. Um, and I think kind of like those are my mementos from Philmont. It's like the people that like I'm still close with outside of seeing them at the summer when our twenties. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a squishy soft answer, but like that's, that's, those are the, the things that I took away from Philmont that like will stick with me forever. Also I have a branding iron. I don't know why. Oh. But um <laughs> Yeah. For legal reasons that's a joke. But I have a branding iron. <laughs> I love that. Um well I I speak for everyone when I say that we're all very excited for you. <laughs> um, and um can't wait to see you guys you guys, yeah, both you and Eli out there um mm-hmm. in the coming future. So um Thanks for sharing this time with me. And uh, yeah, it went by really fast. It went by really fast. They they keep getting longer, but the actual interaction feels shorter. So I don't yeah. know. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, thank you so much. And I will come visit you this summer, if not this fall. Okay. I'll be there. Okay. Um, Scout's honor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks. Bye-bye, Slim. Bye.